The following is a Galactic Netcast production. For more, go to GNCasts.com. And we're on. Sweet. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, we're trying out the uh, updated version of YouTube Studio. And uh, it functions a little bit differently than Hangouts, which we were using uh, in conjunction with YouTube and the classic YouTube live streaming app. Yeah, this was, uh, we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen, but uh, by God, it works. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Alien Invasion number 260, recorded on Monday, July 1st, 2019. I am Anessa, along with my co-host, Brad. That's me. On this show, we talk about aliens of the E.T. variety, as well as alien-related things like space. So what things will we be talking about on this episode, you're wondering? How to keep track of time in space. Space settlers, you know, it's a little different on the whole light cycle up there. William Shatner's new mystery series, The Unexplained, premieres later this month, and a couple of sightings from one of our listeners. We will also be reviewing the Netflix original movie, Rim of the World. <laughs> but <laughs> before all of that, though, our question. I don't know if you guys have seen Edge of Tomorrow. I know Brad has. And we uh, actually, Dave and I talked about it <clears throat> and reviewed it at one point in time. Yes. It is a good movie. I enjoyed it. Tom Cruise. Anyway, so in the movie, The Edge of Tomorrow, aliens are able to manipulate time by forcing humans to relive the same day. If aliens are able to manipulate time, do you think it would be localized or do you think it would affect all of space and time? And my other thought with that was perhaps that's where deja vu comes from. Dun, dun, dun. Then I have way too many space aliens in my life <laughs> uh you know the amount of energy it would take to like affect all of space time uh, would be uh, impossible <laughs> to gather to make that happen so it would have to be would have to be localized but i think it would determine how much space would be determined by perhaps the size of the entity or how how localized how much energy they could create to make such an effect. Right. And how localized do you think it would be? Would it be like specifically targeting a planet or like a planetary system? Well, edge of tomorrow, they were only able to affect themselves. So, so at some point somebody's going to notice that there's a full moon on the first and it's not supposed to be until like the 14th or something. What? If they're only affecting themselves, correct? Wouldn't they still see the moon, and the moon still continues through its normal cycles while we're reliving the same day? Or do you think it would just affect the Earth and the moon? No, it would affect the individuals' respect to space-time. Okay. The, <laughs> there's okay. Internalized, localized. Okay. Partially externalized, localized, we'll say within up to a city block, right? 
then we can say localized up to the size of a planet. What I'm trying to say is the size of the alien in uh, Edge of Tomorrow was like, if I recall correctly, like uh, like the half size school bus. And it was able to push itself back in time. We don't know exactly how far, but that's all it could do. Right. It couldn't take any of its other space brethren with them, just themselves. And it's when Tom Cruise gets injured and gets some of their blood and stuff mixed in with him, then he can do it to a certain point. And he keeps snapping back to that, that one point in time. Yeah. But I, I don't see it affecting... The problem is, <laughs> well, just looking from like a physics aspect, if you were able to shift an area of space by one hour, right? Mm-hmm. You would effectively, the planet is moving. You would effectively be tearing that portion of space out of time while things moved. Sorry, I love the hand motions. <laughs> yeah, if you're checking this out on YouTube, there's a lot happening. With there's a hands. lot of hand waving and it's like I'm casting a spell, and... but not quite. <laughs> so there, there would have to be a lot of different rules. Like, would you just be moving organic matter? Would you, you know, there's too many variables, but it all boils down to energy. How much energy could the thing create? to do whatever it does and to move through time would take a lot of energy. So I would think that it would be restricted to just the being itself moving through time. Okay. Wow. That was a long explanation, but it just seemed like we had to kind of set some parameters here for this (laughs) to kind of make some sense. And okay, we should probably move on now. (laughs) (laughs) What are your thoughts? What do you think? I don't know that it would be quite so localized to just like one specific planet I feel like there would be some sort of ripple effect throughout time and space because you're altering it'd be like dropping a pebble in the pond and you have the ripple so it'd be like you would be kind of doing something similar with time but you would end up with ripples that might even just mildly affect something to where there's just this slight pause before things kind of continue you don't necessarily go back in time if you're far enough away from the epicenter of the time change i don't know yeah, it, you know, it, <laughs> i don't know if that makes sense and i am probably just making stuff up and no just... no i think i think it does but it, like i'm i keep coming back to if you were able to move the earth through time let's say an hour or two backwards within its orbit would that motion change the orbits of the other planets ever so slightly? And everything kind of has a rhythm. It's just rewinding and pressing play again. But you'd only be moving the Earth. Everything else would still... Right. And I'm thinking like there would be more... I think it would be a larger swath of space that would be manipulated because otherwise you would have Earth kind of out of sync with how everything else is orbiting. And then I don't know how that would affect things, but See, and that's where at I some point at. somebody's going to say, Hey, there's a full moon, like two days early. What's going on guys. So uh, I see where you're going with that. Okay. Yes. Cause if you only have back Earth, to your original comment, yes. yes. So it just, 
to me, it's one of those things like if you're just affecting Earth and nothing else is being affected, then at some point, if we continue on our current timeline, someone's going to notice that the calendar says we're supposed to have a full moon at this date. And then it's like two or three days early and people are like, wait, you know, it's less paperwork (sighs) if it's just the creature itself. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you marry me? I, I don't know. Because <laughs> I love you. Aww, I love you too. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Up next is the news. Woo-hoo. You can follow Galactic Netcasts on Twitter. Like our Facebook page or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us by searching for Galactic Netcasts on all the major social networks. Or click on the icons at GNCasts.com. Brad has the first story tonight. I do. And speaking of time, how should space settlers keep track of time? So. With the watch. With. <laughs> but I'm Jane. Why? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of talk about, you know, we're going to have a, a probe go to Titan. That's the next plan in what, 2028? I think we're launching it. Something like that. Ah, yes. Okay. They're hoping to, I'm sorry. They're hoping to build a moon base by 2028. They're also looking to launch something to tighten somewhere between 2028 and 2034, I think. But there's going to be an issue, and that issue is keeping track of time. So that's where this story, which comes to us from Slate.com, talks about. We appear to be on the cusp of an era where humans live outside the pale blue dot. According to some newly leaked NASA documents, the agency hopes to build a moon base by 2028. That settlement will allow us to test the skills and tools we'll need to try to make it to Mars, says NASA. And then who knows where we'll go from there. There are serious technical hurdles to establishing space settlements and enduring long-term flights. How will humans grow food? What happens to our waste? But there are also squishier, I like that, logistical ones that we take for granted here on Earth. One of the first things we'll need to do is figure out how to keep track of time. The solution might seem straightforward. Just bring a watch and a calendar and mark off the days. And yes, this is how the only full-time space settlement, the International Space Station, handles things. The crew of the ISS operates on Greenwich Mean Time and, via their close contact with Earth, gets updates on the time. But there are challenges to keeping space dwellers on an Earth-bound timekeeping system. One is the practicality of using a timekeeping system that ignores your local reality. I like that. <laughs> I'd like to ignore my local reality Uh, sometimes. There are days. (laughs) Keeping astronauts on a 24-hour GMT-based system makes things easier for ground control, but trying to keep Earth hours takes a toll on astronauts' sleep as their circadian rhythms are thrown off by the comparatively erratic light cycle. The ISS orbits the Earth every 90 minutes, so over the course of a typical 24-hour Earth day, the crew sees 16 sunrises and sunsets. Astronomers, science fiction writers, and enthusiastic hobbyists have presented a range of proposals for new timekeeping systems for potential space settlements. 
has particular intrigue to those dreaming of space settlements is far enough that one imagines any settler would be there for the long haul and would develop their own systems. Thomas Gangale, creator of the Darien calendar, came up with the design in 1995. Uh, He's quoted as saying, if we are going to send people to Mars and settle it, they'll need to reckon time according to the natural rhythms of the planet. Uh, His system adapts our traditional Earth timekeeping methods to the rotation and solar orbit of Mars. While Earth rotates uh, once every 23 hours and 56 minutes, Mars's rotation is slightly longer. A Martian day is just shy of 24 hours and 40 minutes, a unit astronomers call a SOL. Mars' solar orbit is about twice as long as the Earth's, taking 687 Earth days to our 365. Souls. 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 I I like souls better. Fine. (laughs) Souls just sounds like we're we're draining people of their life force. And maybe that's what I want to pretend. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, We could just leave time measurement at the Sol level. On Earth, the Julian calendar assigns each Earth day a number counting up from January 1st, 4,713 BC as day zero, which makes it easier to calculate day-based milestones like use by dates for food. Oh, use by, sorry, dates for food. A Mars Sol based calendar would work similarly. Counting up from a day zero, we'd need to decide on. Gangale says perhaps we could start of any Martian calendar would be the date of Galileo's first telescopic observation of Mars in January of 1610. Uh, Individual settlements might evolve their own conventions according to local constraints. Gangale has adapted the Darien calendar for Jupiter's moons Io, Ganymede, Callisto, and Europa, and Saturn's moon Titan, which could be humanity's next outposts beyond Mars. For settlers staying close to home, nonprofit group LunarClock.org advocates for lunar standard time and a lunar calendar, where a year consists of 12 days, comparable to Earth months, each named for a person who has walked on the moon, broken up into 30 cycles, compared to Earth days and 24 moon hours. The other challenge settlers will face in developing alternatives to Earth time is actually keeping the time. Time on Earth is standardized by incredibly stable atomic clocks, which drift just one second every 15 billion years. Unfortunately, they're the size of refrigerators. Spacecraft keep time on board using ultra-stable oscillators, which allow spacecraft to plan and execute maneuvers, but they're not really ultra-stable. They drift over time, says Jill Soybert, uh, deep space navigator at NASA. Hyperbole, okay. Uh, The first (laughs) ultra-stable oscillator, or USO, was used on the Voyager probes in the 70s, and they're still in satellites today. Even over the course of an Earth day, those satellites must be recalibrated to ensure technologies like GPS are as accurate as possible, being off by uh, only just a a millionth of a second can mean a GPS discrepancy of hundreds of meters. God, this is long. I even trimmed this. But so much of this is, like, really important. Okay, 
So currently, engineers take care of this issue by translating between precise Earth time and the spacecraft's USO time readings. But as we get deeper into space or need to perform more instantaneous maneuvers, depending on Earth time, would quickly become cumbersome. While the lag between Earth and the moon is only a second, that balloons between 7 and 22 minutes between here and Mars, depending on the relative position of the two planets, which varies over the course of its orbits. Right now, uh, Soybert is quoted as saying, right now, every spacecraft out there through deep space is being navigated by people on Earth. We compute the trajectory solution on Earth and upload it to the spacecraft. Instead of relying on communications with Earth, spacecraft would carry their own atomic clocks, enabling them to keep more precise local time, which will in turn allow them to compute their own locations and execute maneuvers without help from back home. In late June, the Deep Space Atomic Clock hitched a ride into space aboard a SpaceX rocket beginning in August. Uh, JPL scientists will evaluate the clock for a year to determine its stability. So basically, they just need a localized atomic clock or at least to find a small a way to kind of miniaturize it. Uh, because the amount of money and energy it would take to transport a refrigerator into space that keeps accurate time would be kind of a pain in the ass. Now, as I recall in Star Trek, they have subspace beacons, and I thought that they also helped keep time. And I don't know how they were spaced apart or how that all worked, but quite honestly, that would be the hardest part. Without having a standard, you would obviously, as a person on Mars, default to the rhythms of the planet to calculate your time. And with Mars, it's going to be very similar to Earth because their days are just slightly shorter than ours. But their years are longer. Well, yeah, because they're further away. But it'd be easier to adjust. Since their day is, what, almost an hour longer than ours? I thought it was shorter. No, they're 24... Uh, I'm misremembering then. Their um, a Martian day is just shy of 24 hours. Oh, and f- uh, just shy of 24 hours and 40 minutes, while ours is just under 24 hours. So their day is just slightly longer. That was a very clumsy way of wording that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, overall, your sleep schedule would be okay, but you would have to have a conversion rate, essentially, to sync up your times between Earth and and Mars, which could get weird, which would mean we'd have to keep a new standard of time. So that'll be interesting to figure out how we come up with a standard of time, <laughs> especially as we get further and further out into space. Yeah, I don't know that it would be like a time zone-esque thing. Because yeah. if their year is longer, then I'm not sure how that would... Yeah apply because like our january would be before their january and it would would keep getting it would it would further apart yeah and then probably every however many years we just so happen to land on the same month we have if they adopted god leap year where they just lose a whole year (laughs) yeah and that's assuming that they even keep the whole january through december yeah it would be too hard or you'd have to have your people live underground It's always going to be a problem for humans being on different planets if their days are longer. I mean, because we need to sleep. That's just a foregone conclusion. That's just fact. And we will 
as a species default to the flow of a sunrise and sunset. Which, if they're hanging out on the moon, they'd have to create their own darkness inside their base. Cause Which is really, that would be too difficult. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're living inside of a base, but what if you're on a planet where you're right on bedrock and you would have to like detonate stuff to get underground? It's not feasible to take explosives into space. I'm just talking about like keeping their circadian rhythm thing going or something similar. So like they would have designated times where the lights are dimmed or out in their quarters and dimmer in the hall or something like artificial night. But what I'm saying is at some point they have to go outside. Right. And it would be very disorienting your light pattern inside be different than outside. People in Alaska seem to adjust. They also pay them to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody. (laughs) If people want to pay me to go to Alaska, I'll be more than happy. (laughs) That place is beautiful. And if I can survive Wisconsin winters, I think I can do okay in Alaska. Fair enough. I see what you're saying. I do. And I guess time will tell. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out and if they're able to come up with more of a uniform way of keeping track of time and space because you don't necessarily want them to be dependent upon our time if the cycles are completely different and the length of the year and stuff don't align. You know, especially if they're sending supplies, there's a time differential between communicating between here and there. You have to be able to convert right easily between those two different time zones, whatever you want to call it, um, for the two different locations. So, yeah, there's a lot to be considered and it's above our pay grade, but they'll get it. They'll get it. (laughs) And then they can explain it to the rest of us. Boom. Done. Excellent. That's all I got. That's from Slate. Thank you, Slate. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For more on this Galactic Netcast production, go to GNCast.com. All right, so next story, The Unexplained. History launches an anthology series hosted by William Shatner. History will premiere the nonfiction series, The Unexplained, hosted and executive produced by William Shatner on Friday, July 19th at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time. The eight-episode, one-hour anthology series will tackle subjects that have mystified mankind for centuries, from mysterious structures and cursed ancient cities to extraterrestrial sightings and bizarre rituals. I'm thrilled to be hosting and producing the new history series, The Unexplained, said Shatner. It's an intriguing show that will offer viewers credible answers to questions about mysterious phenomena while also leaving other theories left unexplained. And from Kevin Burns, who is the executive producer of the show and creator, he says that The Unexplained will explore facts behind the world's most strange and bizarre mysteries. So anyway, the show will also be aired on the same night as Ancient Aliens. So if you need your alien slash mystery fix, Friday night's the night. Yeah. Boom. Friday, July 19th at 10 o'clock on History. Give it a watch. Let us know what you think. We don't have cable. (laughs) (laughs) So let us know if it's worth us seeking out in other forms. Like, I don't know if it will maybe come to Hulu or something or Netflix at some point. I don't know. 
Well, it's a history channel. I know Ancient Aliens was on Netflix for the longest time. I don't know if it still is. So I'm it's wondering. It's probably going to end up on Netflix or perhaps Prime. Yeah, maybe. One of the two. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, like I said, give it a watch. Let us know what you think. Is it worth us seeking it out? Although we do tend to watch some pretty crappy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to (laughs) lie. Full disclosure. Right. We actually heard about that through a press release that was emailed out a little while ago. I found a copy of it online through tvseriesfinale.com. So you can read the entire press release with information on who's award-winning and what shows it's followed by and who's directed, who's produced, who's written, who's probably the key grip. I don't know. They tend to do a lot of the... Best boy, best girl. (laughs) The random details, plus the person that you would contact at history. So there you go. So yeah. My story was short. (laughs) Uh, It was very short. Very short. It kind of balances out, though. Yeah. If you have a question or comment about anything that you've heard on this Galactic Netcast production, email contact at gncast.com. Leave a voice or text message at our number, 805-328-3966, or go to gncast.com slash contact. We read, listen to, and appreciate all of your feedback. And now for sightings. Woohoo! And this actually comes to us from uh, a listener named Dylan. It was really cool that Dylan contacted us. It's actually two sightings. Now, Dylan is from the Sacramento, California area, and Dylan sent the first message to us June 8th, which about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was at Folsom at the time. And Dylan said, a couple of days ago, I saw a green light above someone's house not too many blocks away. All I remember is that it was windy that night. It was there for over six seconds, then it disappeared. It didn't blink or anything. I thought I should tell someone, though. And you thought of us, so thank you. Uh, Your follow-up message, Dylan, was the very next day on June 9th. Uh, Dylan follows up and says, I found out that it was most likely not an alien because that is the direction of the airport. Dylan sent us a image on the 18th, so about 13 days ago or nine days after his second message. And this is over his home somewhere in Sacramento County, which is our guess. And Dylan said that they found something else. And I am... <gasps> oh, wait. I was like, oh, I can't do a screen share with this. But surprise, I can. Woohoo! Going to go with that one, Pikachu. Nope. Let's change that to... I have to say that I really, I was really excited whenever Dylan reached out to us because we don't get a whole lot of sightings from our listeners. So it was very refreshing to be like, oh, someone saw something. (laughs) And I really loved the fact that Dylan followed up and said, hey, I realized it's probably an airplane. So it was really good to have that follow up because whenever we research stories, there's typically not a follow up to it. And if we do happen to come across a follow up, it's because someone from MUFON or New Fork or something was able to say, we've discovered this is what was going on that day. And it was X, Y and Z. Yep. So and I'm going to for our YouTube watchers, uh, I'm going to show you the image that Dylan sent us. And there it is. And it is a, 
it looks kind of like a jet contrail and a an object. Now, obviously, Dylan was on the ground and took, well, not obviously, but in this case. <laughs> he was not piloting a plane. He was not uh, in the air in a hot air balloon or anything like that. He w- it, it seems like Dylan was on the ground and took the picture up in the sky. And it's because of that, it's not as clear as it could be. But uh, from what you can see, YouTube watcher, is it looks very much like a jet contrail behind an object in the sky. Now, what's not included was I had messaged Dylan back to find out where he was, because when we initially got these messages, he didn't include a location. So I was I was actually going to refer to Dylan as Sacramento because that was where his area code was based out of. So he was just going to be Sacramento. But the second one was actually outside his home, like over his home is where he saw it. So, OK, Dylan goes on to say, do you guys have any idea what it is? Uh, if this is a real sighting, here is some more information. The time, temperature and the humidity, which is really awesome. And YouTubers. This is what Dylan sent to the clock. It is probably we're at a down or we're at an angle where we're looking up at the clock, but I would say it's probably 848 at the time. We're not sure if it's AM or PM. And let's see, the temperature was about 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And oh, wait, no, the temperature was about 100. I'm sorry. The humidity (laughs) was about 65 percent. And the temperature was about 100. Sorry, it, it was a little grainy and I didn't stick my head close enough to the, the image. So 100 degrees Fahrenheit, approximately. It was a warm day. It was a hot day. And with 65% humidity, yikes. I bet you that was uncomfortable, to say the least. So, yeah, we're guessing 8.50 or 8.48 p.m. And sun, but... Uh, on the other end of the the solstice. solstice. So, uh, Dylan, if you are listening, thank you very much, or watching for that matter. And if anybody else has any sightings or any information they'd like to share with us, you can contact us at aliens at gncast.com. You can also contact us at area code 805-328-3966. Again, that's area code 805-328-3966. 3966 and you can uh, leave a message or you can text that number as well. Uh, We also do check out our comments on YouTube, Facebook, and we mention it in the listener messages section. Yes. And we never really went over what we think about it. Oh yeah, we didn't. We, we talked about what we're seeing, which is Brad mentioned. It has a contrail. It's actually not a terrible picture. There's not like a whole lot of shakiness, which is really kind of nice. Yep. The object at the end of the contrail almost looks circular with like a shadow underneath to me anyway. Maybe. Maybe. So I don't know. I see kind of a circular object with shadowing or something like a different color underneath. So I'm guessing it's a shadow. Again, we don't have like a definitive a definitive answer so and if i were a betting person i would be betting that this image was taken with a smartphone which aren't really known for having uh, great zoom lens capabilities yeah so but i would really like it if our listeners would take the time to check out the photos and 
the video and I think we can share these on our website as well. Yes. And so you would just go to GNCasts.com and look up the alien invasion and it'll be episode 260 and we'll have the images there. So you guys can take a look, see what you think, send us your thoughts, your comments. Maybe you're in the same area and you witness something around that time as well. That would be really awesome. So, yeah. But for me, I'm kind of leaning towards it's probably an aircraft. It's just the angle that we're seeing the the plane. Yeah. I'm trying to find a way to save this image. Oh, you got it in an email, though. Yeah. So yeah, we have it in an email and then I pasted it in the show notes just yeah. so it's okay. Yeah, unfortunately, once you, <laughs> it's like Microsoft Word. Once you put a picture in there, it's like in a, a oh, no person and it's stuck. Oh, well, it's an email. Yeah, so, so they we'll sent definitely it. <laughs> be able to post that on our website. So, yeah, but I still am really happy that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you for taking, you know, that's one of those things where people who experience, you know, uh, UFOs or extraterrestrials or, or Bigfoot or whatever, they usually don't have the presence of mind to take a photo of the event. So Dylan, uh, our hats are off to you for having the presence of mind to, to take that picture. So, yeah. And in the words of Dylan right now, it is a UFO until someone identifies it. True that. So it's very, very true. Very true. If you like what you've heard on this galactic netcast production, please consider helping us out by going to gncast.com support. On that page, you'll find a link to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge as little as $1 a month. You can also shop on Amazon using our affiliate links. When you make a purchase, a small portion of that goes to us with no extra cost to you. Again, go to gncast.com support. And now... Picks and warnings. Picks and warnings. Which we still haven't thought about changing the name on. <laughs> Maybe we'll just leave it. And I think I like it better than Brad and Anessa watch stuff. <laughs> Brad and Anessa watch a thing. Yes. So, picks and warnings. We ended up watching the Netflix original movie, Rim of the World. It's about these four teenagers who have nothing in common who end up at a summer camp. And during their time at the summer camp, there is an alien invasion. And Brad... <laughs> I, cl- I called it like Stand By Me meets Independence Day. <laughs> so I know I kind of glanced online to see what just stars wise i didn't even read any of the reviews but like ebert was kind of harsh and if i recall he gave it like a star ebert ebert roger ebert isn't he dead gene siskel's dead did ebert die too ebert is dead oh man then who's running the website (laughs) somebody else well whoever pretending to be roger ebert (laughs) lizard people he, he, he passed away of cancer a few years ago Oh, okay. Well, whoever is running or maintaining his Ebert, review. Ebert, it was Ebert and Roper for a while. I wonder if Roper is. Oh, maybe Roper. But it's an Ebert. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't keep up with reviewers. But anyway, whoever is, it could be Roper. He gave it a star, which I don't agree with. I thought it was a fun movie. It's nothing that's super deep or complex. But it was still kind of a fun little run. 
Like, what did you think? For what it was, which is a popcorn teen adventure flick, uh, coming of age kind of a movie uh, where I get my stand by me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I also say every generation needs their own space camp. Um, that's an 80s gem. You should check that out. Oddly enough, the first date I ever went to as a teenager was <laughs> to space camp. Yeah, it was it was fun. And you're not going to find deep meaning here. You're not going to find uh, necessarily a, a new take on alien life or whatever. It was a very interesting story that kind of focused on these four kids what made them tick and why they worked so well together and the journey that they took to attempt to save all of mankind yeah so there you go but no i mean like i said i enjoyed it i thought it was fun it's not anything that's gonna really make you think it's not like you're i don't know and i didn't really think it was all that scary so it's not like you're watching alien but they did try some of the sneak up on you kind of <laughs> like, is the alien going to find them sort of moments. But the, the aliens themselves were kind of gross in that they had a like a companion, like a dog or a pet that was a part of them. And then suddenly it just kind of like splits and breaks away from them. So I thought that was kind of weird. and Well, we don't know if it was a pet or if it was actually a part of them. Yeah. If they were able to separate their consciousness into another form that would allow them to travel in different ways to collect information. Yeah. I, I don't know. They kind of treated it like it was a pet. The movie. <laughs> the movie. The movie very yes. much implied that it was the alien's pet dog. <laughs> Is I don't know, E.T. dog. E.T. dog. <laughs> so, Fair enough. I was like, I was like E.T. dog, but <laughs> no, like like I said, I thought it was fun. It's not anything that's gonna be life changing, but it helped pass a Saturday morning, and <laughs> that it did. That yeah. it did. So, I'd recommend giving it a watch if you've got nothing else better to do. How many stars would you give it out of five? Three. Yeah. Or two and a half. Yeah, I think my head was about two and a half, three as well. Somewhere in the middle. That's that's what I would think. Yeah. All right. All right. So there. If you got Netflix, you might want to give it a, a try. That's Rim of the World on Netflix. Yeah, let us know what you think. Maybe you think it really just deserves the one star and you've wasted two hours of your life. In which case, if you're not very optimistic and you do some sort of craft like crochet or knit i highly recommend crocheting or knitting while you're watching movies that you're not entirely certain about because then if you really don't like the movie at the end of the movie you've still created something and your time was not a total waste <laughs> you have true. no much you have no idea how much crocheting i've done during crappy movies and i'm like hey i've done several rolls of my blanket <laughs> awesome true story bro so, in the end it comes out a win <laughs> the galaxy far far away feels closer now than ever before and your guides through this galaxy are ready to help 
I'm Zach Hagenbusher, one half of the new Jedi Archives podcast with Ben Schultz. Join us every other Tuesday for our experiences with the Star Wars saga from the core films that we know and love, well, you know, some of them, to the annals of history and the works that shaped Star Wars into what we know it as today. Just jump in wherever you'd like. Download an episode of the new Jedi Archives today. All right. And we did get some listener feedback a little while ago regarding episode 257, Space Herpes, Exoplanets, and the Orville. And it comes from Kevin Diaz on YouTube. He says, I don't deserve this spot of first in the comments, but I do like to study space as a hobby, but I am glad to see I'm not alone on theories. I thought that was cool. Because we're very much in the same boat. We like space. We like to read about space. But we also like to talk about some of the theories and conspiracy theories out there. Because, you know, you never know. It's kind of interesting. Life is not cut and dry. There's always something weird happening somewhere. And whether it's sinister, weird, or funny, weird. Or weird that we just made up in our head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is a fair bulk of conspiracy theories. (laughs) But still. It's something to think about. Exactly. All right. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Alien. If, if somebody wants to leave us some of that stuff, how do they do that, Anessa? <laughs> they don't. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> no, leave us feedback at aliens at GNCasts.com. That's aliens at GNCasts.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. That's 805-328-3966. All right. So now that's going to do it for this edition of the Alien Invasion, a Galactic Netcast production. If you'd like to read more about the stories we've covered on this episode or other content we've covered, click the links in the show notes. We'd like to thank Monkey Warhol for providing our intro and between segment music. The songs are called Alien Syndrome and Lunar Orbit. You can find more of his music at monkeywarhol.bandcamp.com. Also, thanks to Retvard von Dernberg, a composer from Germany, for our closing song, Be Water. Learn more about him and his music at thecaravel.net. And thanks to Ben Olson for recording our disclaimer audio at the start of this episode. Find out more about Ben at benolson.com. And finally, thank you to Karina Maria for our in-between audio segments and our podcast episodes. Finally, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Alien Invasion. Final thoughts? I, I got nothing. Cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> cricket this is where the outro music's just gonna <laughs> kick in <laughs> and karina's just gonna start talking and it'll be great <laughs> or perhaps i'll edit some crickets in there all right thank you for joining us okay, okay bye. bye it's like let's just sit here and be awkward This has been a Galactic Netcast production. For more, go to GNCast.com.